Father, we come to you today learning, hopefully, about something that you've wanted to teach us from all eternity past today. Um, there's no mistake that you're here. There's no mistake that we are here. There's no mistake that we are in this passage today. And I pray that whatever you want to tell, whoever you want to tell it to today would come through loud and clear. Uh, use me as your conduit and your channel, your vessel, your tool uh, to uh, uh, speak your words to your church family. Uh, thank you for uh, um, our meeting after uh, this service, our business meeting. Just, Lord, we pray for your peace, your calm, your presence, your, your, your sovereign overseeing of our business, and may it uh, be a, a special time of unity and love for each other. Thank you, Lord, for uh, teaching us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Eugene Peterson. He is the one that did the Message Bible. Anybody know of the Message Bible? Um, he wrote a book called Run With Horses. Run With Horses, and he defines the role of a prophet in today's church, the role of prophet or the gift of prophecy. And this is what he says. Um, a prophet lets people know who God is and what he's like and what he says and what he is doing. A prophet wakes us up from sleepy complacency so that we see the great and stunning drama that is our existence and then pushes us onto the stage playing our parts whether we think we're ready or not. A prophet angers us by rejecting and ripping off our disguises, then dragging our heartless attitudes and selfish motives out into the open where everyone sees them for what they are. A prophet makes everything and everyone seem significant and important. Important because God made him or her. Significant because God is actively right now using him or her. A prophet makes it difficult to continue with a sloppy or selfish life. Pretty good description of a prophet and their role in the church today. And now we come in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, uh, God's Hall of Faith, or Faith's Hall of Fame, as it's called. It's made famous for uh, to a, a, the prophet by the name of Samuel. He's the only one in Hebrews 11 that's identified as a prophet. Um, and uh, I'm just going to read where it says that in Hebrews 11:32 through 34. We're going to just start with this and then get back into the book of 1 Samuel, but it says here, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak. We've done all of these individually. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And as we study about this prophet by the name of Samuel, who was included in Faith's Hall of Fame and God's Hall of Faith by the Holy Spirit as he inspired scriptures, there are some spiritual qualities that come right up to the surface, right up to the top. Uh, in Samuel's life as we look at 1 Samuel that we really want to look at and that I hope that we're going to want to replicate in our own lives. And so there are seven of them this morning and we're going to go roughly speaking through the book of 1 Samuel and kind of identify these, kind of uh, go along the crest of the wave and, 
and see why Samuel was inducted into God's hall of faith and what these spiritual qualities were, okay? So first of all, Samuel uh, was inducted into the faith hall of fame because Samuel never stopped from day, well, really, very, very early in his life, in fact, very, very early in his childhood, he never stopped worshiping or serving God. From the very, almost to the cradle to the grave, Samuel kept worshiping and he kept serving God. Now, Samuel's parents were Elkanah and Hannah. And unfortunately, polygamy was quite common in those days. Not God's original plan for marriage, but it was quite common. And uh, Elkanah had another wife whose name was Penina. And uh, Elkanah kind of favored Hannah. He loved her more than Penina. But for some reason, Penina was able to have children. And it was like, Penina was a uh, very, uh, I don't know what the word would be, fertile. She, was, she had children, and then she had more children, and then she had more children. Unfortunately, um, uh, Hannah could not have children. She couldn't conceive. Okay, and guess who didn't let her forget that? Penina. Penina viciously mocked Hannah. And she said, you know, I have 40, 43 kids now. You don't have any. And she would just poke a stick in Hannah's eyes and say, I, um, I have children, you don't. And, and, and Elkanah felt horrible about this. And, uh, and so did Hannah. So Hannah decided, I am going to pray like crazy until God gives me a child. And so she's praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and Eli, the priest at that time, see her, sees her praying and crying and agonizing to the Lord for him to give her a child. And he says, go your way, your prayer has been answered. And so sure enough, Hannah has a, a child by the name of Samuel. And Hannah had struck a deal with God. And she said, God, if you give me a child, then I am going to give him to you and I'm going to allow him to minister at the temple, at the tent of meeting. And I'll, I'll give him to you for your service. And so she does. And she gives him, uh, gives, gives uh, Samuel to the, the, the temple. And you find that in, in verses 27 and 28 of the first chapter. I prayed for this child, says Hannah, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. And he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there, and, and they approximate that he was three years old. I don't know what that looks like to see a little three-year-old boy worshiping and ministering at the temple, but that's what he did. And he did it the entirety of his life. Okay? And we see that throughout his whole life. And up in chapter 2 and verses 18 and 19, same thing. Um, says Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. And so year by year, she would make a bigger and bigger robe for Samuel, and Samuel would minister as he grew up. And then we see uh, at the, almost the end of his life, up in chapter 7, in verses 15 through 17, that he did it to his dying day. In chapter 7, 15 through 17. I'm going to read that to you. 
It says, Samuel, verse 15 of chapter 7, Samuel continued as judge over Israel all the days of his life. From year to year he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel and all those places, but he always went back to Ramah where his home was, and there he also judged Israel, and he built an altar, and you could probably legitimately put in there of worship, there to the Lord. So what do we have in Samuel? Why was he inducted into God's hall of faith? Because he never stopped worshiping and serving the Lord. From the cradle to the grave, and that, you guess what I'm gonna say? That's God's will for you and me. That's God's will for you and me. The moment we are saved, whether it's three years old, or 103, whatever in between. God's plan for us is to continually worship him in and outside of the church and serve him in and outside of the church. Let me read to you what it says about that in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, says, therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you, always giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Always, always in the Greek language means always, okay? That means from be cradled to the grave, we don't stop worshiping, but we don't stop serving with our, the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And then in Galatians 6, 9, and 10, it says, let us not become weary in well-doing or doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong in the family of believers. What does Samuel teach us? Why was he inducted into the hall of faith? Because he never stopped. He never stopped. There weren't these wide gaps of not worshiping God, wide gaps of not serving God. I wanna challenge myself and you there's no retirement plan for the Christian. There's just none. I mean, you don't see it in the Bible. You never see it. Now, obviously, sometimes physical issues come into play or mental, or emo- mental issues or whatnot, but, but as a rule, there's no retirement plan for the Christian. Well, I'm 65. I'm gonna go play shuffleboard, you know. And okay, go ahead and play shuffleboard, but it doesn't mean you quit serving and ministering Uh, and worshiping in the house of the Lord. Amen? Okay. There's a second thing about um, Samuel that I think enabled him or uh, um, allowed him to be inducted into God's hall of faith, and it's this. Samuel never stopped. Now, he did uh, worship and serve God all his life, but we can come in here and sing, and we can come in here and uh, into the church, and we can serve, but... There's something else that should be added to that. Samuel never stopped growing spiritually. Never. Okay? In contrast to everybody around him, almost, he wouldn't stop. I want to be Samuel. I want to be Samuel. I don't want to be the people around him. I don't want to be Eli the priest, who basically, you know, coasted the last years of his priesthood. I don't want to be his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And we'll talk about them in a minute. I don't want to be King Saul. We all know how he bottomed out, right? But who didn't bottom out in the book of 1 Samuel? That's a clue. (laughs) Samuel. I love it. In contrast to everybody around him, I want to see your faces five years from now. 
I want to see your faces 10 years from now. I want to see, you know, I'd like to live to, well, as long as I live, I'd like to see your faces. I don't want anybody to leave. That's one of the hardest things for pastors, to see people leave. And, and I mean, sometimes people move out of, out of the area or they have a reason for going somewhere else. I get it. Some of, some of those are legitimate, some are not. But if, if, there, if I don't want you go, you know, I think I'll just, I think I'll just coast. I don't want to see that. That tears pastors in half inside to see people just pack it in. And Samuel didn't pack it in. He kept growing year after year after year after year after year. I want you to look, if, unless it's, you want to look on the screen, in chapter 2, verse 26. This is really cool. Chapter 2, verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. I hope, it, I hope that that's kind of... Uh, branded into our hearts, seared into our hearts. And the boy Samuel continued to grow. And, and you know, it's, it's talking about growing into manhood and older age. He continued to grow. He continued to grow. He continued to grow. That's what I want us all to say. I continued to grow. I continued to grow. I continued to grow. Um, you know, again, the New Testament tells us that as Christians, to grow. Don't get complacent. Don't get lethargic. Don't get apathetic. Keep growing in the Lord, in your walk with God, in your understanding of the scriptures, in your spiritual life. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 is, is really a great verse. It says, we all, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. Now, Paul looked at the church of Thessalonica here and here and here, like this church here, and he said, you know, I can, I can tell you're growing. I can tell you're growing. And can people look at us and say, you know, I can tell you're growing. I mean, that's a good question to ask. I know that's a, it's a little difficult, and it doesn't have to be by, you know, we don't have to be growing. I don't know. I, I don't think spiritual growth is exponential, but I think it's incremental, and I hope that others can look at you and me and say, you know, I see some things in you that I didn't see two or three years ago. And we can look at ourselves humbly and say, you know, I've learned some stuff in the last year or two. I'll, t I'll, I'll use myself an example, as an example. I, have, I think I've grown by going through this book of Hebrews as we've gone through this book. I think I've grown to understand a little bit more what faith is and what it means to live by faith. And I can't say I'm a, a spiritual giant, but I, I'm sensing just incrementally that I'm just, just so becoming more a man of faith. And it's very pleasing to me that God would allow that to happen in my life. Can we say that we're, we grow? Another verse in the New Testament in 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian life is not, well, I'm saved, so uh, I think I'll just uh, relax. Get into my lazy boy spiritually and just stay there. Then say that, says, grow in the grace and the knowledge. You, you know, and that little word in 2 Peter 3.18, I don't know if you've taken that off yet, but if you could put 2 Peter 3.18 back up there. 
The, what's the first word in that verse? Say it, everybody. But. So when it says but, that means there's another alternative. There's another alternative. And in that, the verse before that, it talks about just not growing. Not growing. And so we either grow or we don't grow. Okay? Interesting. We can stop growing. And I was thinking about that um, this week. I thought, what are the growth killers? What, what, what can stop us from growing? Maybe we don't even know what they are. But they could sneak up on us uh, and, and without us even knowing. And I'm going I'm to name you the growth, at least what I think some of the growth killers are. And I think one, one of the growth killers is stagnate, spiritual stagnation that results from ignoring the spiritual disciplines in our life. And when I talk about spiritual disciplines, I mean studying, reading and studying God's word, the Bible, spending a healthy amount of time with God in prayer, and, being, and doing what you're doing now, being in fellowship with each other. Sometimes I think the most exciting thing in church is what happens after church. And you may not know this, but a lot of times I can tell how good a church service has been. How do I, how do I know how good a church service has been? People just hang on. Most people don't want to go out the door. They smell, they feel, they sense, they, they experience the Holy Spirit. And they just, want to, they just want to keep talking with other Christians. And then there's some Sunday when it's like, and I'm sitting here alone, you know, chewing my fingernails, wondering, boy, they went out fast. And sometimes it's just like, it's just like I just know the Holy Spirit's working. People want to stay. So the word, prayer, being in fellowship, okay? I think when we don't do those things, then we stagnate. That's one of my fears for, that has, COVID has brought about, that there are people at home that don't have to be. Oops, did I stop meddling or preaching and gone to meddling? I'm sorry, you know. But you know what? I mean, there are people that need to be home. Don't, don't get me wrong. They need for variety. But there are people that are, the PJs are so comfortable, you know, and, and, and you know, look, that's, that's a sin, if you can be here. I don't want to poke a stick in people's eyes if they can't, but if they can, they should, okay? So stagnation when it comes to the spiritual disciplines, I think also just that yucky word called sin you know, sin can, can kill our growth. Okay, I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with you on his terms, but if there's something in your life or mine that, that we know isn't God's will, but we're allowing to fester, and he's ready to deal with it in our lives, we need to deal with it so we can bust through that wall and keep growing spiritually. I think um, some distractions that are good even in and of themselves but have taken the place of our time with God can, be, uh, can cause us to stop growing spiritually, wrong priorities. And then one of the oldest and slickest tricks of the devil himself, unresolved bitterness and unforgiveness. We can go through all the motions of the, of the Christian life, but if we're at odds with other people in the body because of unforgiveness uh, or bitterness, uh, we cannot grow forward spiritually. But that wasn't true of Samuel. He never stopped worshiping and serving God. He never stopped growing spiritually. And then the third one that I discovered as I scanned over for Samuel this past week was Samuel, and I mentioned it 
a little bit here, but Samuel never stopped praying. Samuel was what the old timers would call a prayer warrior. We don't use that word uh, very often anymore. She was a prayer warrior. How many of you knew of a prayer warrior in your life? That you knew at your church? Yeah, I do too. And um, how many have ever, you ever heard the old timers say, the, your, call it your prayer closet? I, was, I always thought that was kind of funny. I'm going where my clothes are, you know, and shove the shoes aside and go to my prayer closet. But it meant a, a secluded place, right? Those are old-timey words, but they have a, a, a today value, and that is we ought to pray. If we want to be like Samuel, we need to be people of prayer, okay? And Samuel prayed from childhood, from childhood. He listened to God. He prayed. He prayed about, listen, you know what was great about Samuel? He prayed about every hump that he had to get over in his life. And if you and I could take the time to just scan this book slowly over, over the whole day, we would find that every issue of importance that Samuel came across, he would, he would bathe and soak it and saturate it and permeate it with prayer. And how many times I could just say this, but obviously time is uh, 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 not allowing, but Samuel prayed, 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 Samuel prayed. He prayed about Eli the priest. He prayed uh, about the Israelites when they were threatened by the Philistines. He prayed and listened to God when Israel said, we want a king. And they were wrong and they suffered for it. But he prayed about and told them the truth. He prayed to God and prayed to God and he prayed to God. God wants us to pray to God. And he wants us to listen to him. And uh, that's something I'd like to get better at is listening to God. Um, you ever seen one of those, like a bug on the water? They're called water bugs. <laughs> maybe they don't have them out here. They have them in Michigan. Maybe they don't have them here. But these, these bugs go boop on the water. You guys, do they have them out here? Yes. Is that what they're called, water bugs? Whatever. And then the, what? Skeeter. Oh, skeeter. Okay, that fits. That's what it sounds like what it is. And then they go, and then these water bugs or skeeters go, boop. And then, that's my brain. <laughs> that's my brain. And I, it's tough for me to listen to God. I don't know if you find it hard to listen to God, but I do. But it's so satisfying when we do. It, when we hear, hear, hear the Lord just kind of whisper, you know, and, and nudge and push a little bit and talk to us a little bit, especially when we're reading the word because that's mainly how he speaks to us through his word. And, but sometimes he'll talk to us extemporaneously and it's always in line with his word. When people say, ah, oh, the Lord spoke to me, well then check it out, make sure it's consistent with scripture. You know, but, but that's, what, that's what Samuel did. He prayed, and he listened to God, okay? L listen, to, listen to what the, the New Testament tells you and I about this. I feel almost like a hypocrite saying this, but I'm gonna say it, okay? Um, 
Ephesians 6, 18, 19, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray for me. Uh, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me. You know what the main theme of that, those verses are? Prayer, yeah. People go, I don't know, I'm not sure. You know, prayer. First Thessalonians 5.16, be joyful always, pray continually. Colossians 4.2, I know I'm going fast. Are they getting them up there on time? Good for them. Okay. I told them this morning you're gonna have, you're gonna have to put half the Bible up on the screen today, so be, be ready. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And he did, and we should. I tried that the other day. Again, I'm the water bug, you know. Have you ever driven, like say you've, you've, you've gone off the Stanwood, uh, you've come off the Stanwood onto I-5 going south, right? And then 10 miles later, you realize you just drove 10 miles. <laughs> Have you ever done that, driven like three or four miles or five miles and going, wow, I just drove three or four miles. Where was I? So I felt like the Lord was saying, why don't you take that time and pray? I thought, wow, that's a good idea, Lord. And then for the next four or five miles, I spaced out, didn't do a thing, you know? And then I realized, oh, the Lord wants me to pray. So I started to pray as I'm driving. I had my eyes open, I didn't close my eyes. <laughs> and, uh, and it was hard, but it was really good. And he, that's what he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions, all kinds of prayers, because with this might be always praying for all the saints. Be not just your little quiet time thing, but all the, that's something we can improve in. That's what Samuel, he was inducted to face all of fame because he prayed all the time. God bless him for practicing the presence of God. Let's go on to a fourth one. Samuel never, one of the, another reason that Samuel uh, was inducted into God's Hall of Faith is that Samuel never stopped honoring God. This is where I feel like a, a spiritual pygmy this morning. But, it, but up in chapter 12, up in ch chapter 12, in verses one through five, listen to what it says. Chapter 12, one through five. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you have said to me and have set a king over you, Saul. Now you have a king as your leader, Saul. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these, I will make it right. And then the people responded, you have not cheated or oppressed us? You have not taken anything from anyone's hand? Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you and also his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, they said. I would be scared spitless to say that to you because, you know, having been here 28 years, uh, you know what I learned in 28 years as a pastor? 
you ain't fooling anybody as a pastor. After 28 years, they know, they know who you are. Fortunately, the church here knew who I was, but they loved me too. So I'm very fortunate. But, I mean, you're only fooling yourself as a pastor if you don't think people uh, can't figure out where you're weak and where you're strong. It's self-deception, especially when you stay in the same place that long. I know, I pastored two years in New York, seven years in Pittsburgh, then we went down to Sarasota, that pastored 18 months, then we went over to Indiana and I pastored two years. I'm thinking, you got a problem. They're discovering you and you're, and you're splitting. I don't think, I mean, here's Samuel and he's saying to the people of Israel after, it, it, was, a, it was many years, said, anything, have, you, have, you, have I ever stolen something from you? Did I ever cheat you about anything or any, did I ever cheat anyone? Did I ever mistreat anyone? I, have I ever taken a bribe? And he said, nope, you didn't. What's this all about? It's about honoring God. He honored God. And, and that's our calling card as a Christian. God wants us to honor him to the people around us. You know, so that when they testify about us, that it sounds like what Israel testified about Samuel. Listen again, New Testament, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. It's talking to you and me. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And it doesn't say Christian men, and it doesn't say secular men. It just says men. Let your light so shine before humanity, in or outside the church, so that they may see visually you and what you do and give praise to your Father in heaven. You say, well, non-Christians can't do that. Oh, yes, they can. Non-Christians are not stupid. I mean, spiritually they're lost, but they're not stupid. They can tell a fake from the real deal. I like this one, Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Let's stop there, huh? Let's go on to the next thing. <laughs> Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. And you know what? It's funny that the writer of, of that, Paul, was focusing on our mouths, what we say. How, how much you could tell about a person by, by, their, by their, whether they're a complainer or an arguer. How much you can say about a person. And Saul was honoring God with his life. This, let me read one more quickly. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Is that how we're seen by our neighbors and people at work and 
so on and so forth. Well, let's go on to the next one here, the f- f- number five. We're going to top out at seven today. The fifth spiritual quality that enabled Samuel to be inducted into the Face Hall of Fame is that Samuel never stopped speaking the truth for God. And I would say here, the role of prophet was most fulfilled in Samuel's life because the role of a prophet is to speak the truth for God. I have friends, well, I'm thinking of one in particular, that has, I believe, the gift of prophet. And that person, like, imagine that this uh, room here, uh, perish the thought, but is just filled with smoke, just filled with smokes to where it's just really thick and we can't really see each other that well. He has the ability to go into a place and tell the truth, and he's not a mean-spirited guy, and he doesn't yell and scream and, and make a big deal of it. He tells the truth, and the smoke goes like right out of the room. And the, 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 the thing that God is trying to tell the church is, uh, is made clear, clearer than what I can do. And I've loved watching that because you, I like watching people that have strong gifts that I don't have, especially that gift. And Samuel was a prophet and he never stopped speaking the truth. I wish I could go into this in more detail. I'm gonna do one in detail, but there's a number of places in Samuel where he just spoke the bare, naked truth. It, it didn't matter what people thought. He spoke it to Eli the priest. Didn't matter what Eli thought. And Eli knew it was from the Lord and he agreed with him. He spoke it to the Israelites. He spoke it, he spoke them, get back into fellowship with God. You guys are walking away and doing all this pagan idolatry stuff. You're going to get spanked by God. Get back into fellowship with God. Didn't mince words. He, he spoke to them and, 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 and prophesied, didn't stop speaking the truth. When they chose Saul as king and God said, I'm your king. And they said, no, nah, we want a human king. All the other nations have a human king. We want a human king. And we all know what happened with Saul, right? Yeah. If God says no, just say, okay because it's not worth the, taking the scenic route, you know, in our flesh. And then he, he rebuked Saul for being impatient. The Philistines were attacked, or were, were uh, confronting Israel, and, Saul, and, and uh, uh, Samuel said, look, I'll be there in seven days, and I'll, and I'll intercede for you, and then, um, and then Israel will be delivered. And it was the seventh day, Saul lost patience, he made an offering to the Lord, and then guess what happened right when he made the offering to the Lord? Who shows up? Samuel shows up. And Samuel says, what are you doing? He says, oh, uh, I thought I better offer an offering to the Lord because things are looking kind of dim. And in the Hebrew language, Samuel says to Saul, you're a dunderhead, Okay. <laughs> God told you to wait seven days, and you didn't. Listen, sometimes, can you hear me now this morning, you guys? Sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer till the very, 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 very 11th hour. Why? Because he wants you to learn patience. And he wants it clear that it's him and him only that's doing the answering. And don't cut God short. Some of you have some tough stuff going on. 
You say, when is God going to answer my prayer? I'll tell you what, he'll answer your prayer, but in, he'll be, it'll be in his time, in his way, in his shape, in his form, for his glory and your blessing. But don't get impatient with God. God's timing is perfect, whatever you're going through right now. The one that I, I really want to spend the most time, well, uh, some time on, but I'm going to cut it short a little bit, but I want to give you the story because it's really, really fun in a kind of crazy way. It's up in chapter 15 if you're, if you're looking in your Bibles. And here's what happens here in chapter 15. God tells Saul to destroy a very, very vicious, brutal, ungodly, pagan group called the Amalekites. And then he says, I want you to get rid of these people, take care of them. They're ungodly, they're opposed to me, they're opposed to my nation Israel. They need to be taken care of. Hook, line, and sinker. Every single person, every single thing needs to be eradicated because they're polluting other people and, 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 and bringing other people into their pagan sin and they're opposed to my people. And so Saul decides to do that and he sends his army out and uh, just one little teeny problem. Instead of doing what God says you ought to do, he keeps some of the stuff for himself and for the army. Okay, some of the best sheep and cattle and lambs and all the good stuff and, and some of the plunder. And he allows King Agag uh, to remain alive of the King Agag of the Amalekites. So in verse 12 of chapter 15, it says, early in the morning Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he, he was told Saul has gone to Carmel, Carmel, whatever, and there he has set up a monument in his own honor, humble guy that he is, right, and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. And when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. And this, I look, this is the classic. And Samuel, the prophet, said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? You destroyed everything, huh? Oh, yeah, oh, I did. Oh, why do I hear sheep bleeding? Amalekite sheep and, and cows doing whatever, mooing or lowing or whatever they do and, 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 and lambs and uh, why do I hear them? And, and Saul says, well, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites and spared the rest of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord. You know, you see all the rationalization, all the yuck and... And they go through the whole thing, the whole scenario again. And uh, you, know what, you know what Samuel calls what Saul did in verse 23? Re a rebel. A re he committing the sin of rebellion against God is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. In, who, who has witchcraft in their uh, uh, Bible? Anybody here? Okay, yeah, one Bible there. It's, and I think that's, is that the King James? Yes, yes. So it's rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or divination. He says, you're following Satan more than you are God. Now that would be called speaking the truth. <laughs> Love it. Love it. You know, that's what we need to do in the body of Christ. Speak the truth of God to fellow Christians. Now good truth, healthy truth, you know, words that, that encourage and 
edify and, 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 and show love to each other, build each other up, but also words of warning and words that care enough to confront and to correct. Okay, now the parent here, whether your kids are grown and have kids of their own or they're still at home, not a parent here would disagree with me that sometimes our children have needed correction. It's part of the job as a parent. It's not the fun part. When they're little and they, or whatever, we have to correct them. That's what God is telling us to do. Loving words, says in, in uh, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. We're to tell each other good things, encourage each other, build each other up, but we don't do each other a service if we never challenge and um, tell the truth to our fellow Christians. I love, uh, people don't think about this verse, but 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, and we talk about the inerrancy of scripture, but then it goes on, it says, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Three out of the four functions of, uh, of the word of God is to talk to other Christians. Actually, four. We ought to do that. And so if we want to really, really be like Samuel, we need to talk to our fellow Christians lovingly and truthfully. And if you know someone in the body of Christ that you feel, and I mean humbly, but that they need to hear the truth about something, uh, you need to talk to them in a spirit-filled, loving, godly, but truthful manner. And I think of the times through, uh, through my ministry over the years when I failed to do that. And some of my biggest failures have been when there was somebody in the body of Christ that needed to hear something from me and I didn't do it. I don't know if it was fear or neglect or whatever reason it was. You know, it's not so much what you're saying, although that comes into play, but how you're saying it. Samuel never stopped speaking the truth for God in love. And we need to do that in the body of Christ to stay healthy. And then number six, Samuel never stopped being merciful to others. Look at verse um, 34 in chapter 15. We're there now. 34 in chapter 15. Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again. And then the next word, look at it. Though, though Samuel mourned for him. Saul did a lot of junky stuff to Samuel. But you know, Samuel mourned for Saul. That word mourned in the Hebrew language means to breathe deeply or to have deep sorrow. It can mean troubled or grieved. And no matter how bad Samuel acted, Samuel, or Saul acted, Samuel still cared about him. And that's what God wants us to do with each other in the, in the church. Okay, James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. It's better to be merciful than it is to be judgmental. Now, judgmental does not mean lacking discernment or, or you know, closing our eyes when we shouldn't, but... We're to major on mercy and minor on judgment, right? And then the last thing that Saul, Samuel rather, did is that he never stopped obeying God. He never stopped obeying God. What a superstar. This is why he was inducted into God's Hall of Faith. Chapter 16. 
You know what God told Samuel to do? In verse one, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But, 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 said Samuel, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and could kill, could kill, could kill me. And you, Saul was a piece of work, wasn't he? He was a demon oppressed. We all know what he tried to do with David. He pinned him against the wall with a spear. He chased him all over the countryside to try to kill him. And Samuel's thinking, you know, I, this obedience stuff, I don't know. But he did it, didn't he? He did it. He obeyed God, and God protected him. He never stopped obeying God. Boy, there's so many verses on this, and I have so many, but I'm just going to use one. There's a ton of them. John 14, 3, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And I've been trying to do that in my own life. I've been trying to obey God. Well, you say, Pastor Mitch, you're a pastor. You always obey God. Well, that's true. But, you know, um, <laughs> once in a while I slip. No, I, if you knew how much I disobeyed God, you probably wouldn't let me get up here and preach. That's the truth of it. But, you know, I'm really trying to be obedient to God because I want to love God. And love God doesn't mean I feel something going up and down my spine and, ooh, I love God. Sometimes it's just obedience, right? And I say to the Lord, Lord, I want to love you, and I know that that tra translates into obedience, so here I go. Help me to obey you. Well, let's, let's close with these thoughts. Our desire should be like, to be like Samuel, okay? To never stop worshiping or serving God, to never stop growing spiritually, to never stop praying or listening to God, to never stop honoring God, to never, you know, we're all gonna stand before the Lord, but we stand before men too. To never stop speaking the truth for God in love, to never stop being merciful to other people, my, majoring in mercy, minoring in judgment, and never stop obeying God. I don't know what area God's speaking to you about, but I'll leave up to, that up to you and him. But if we examine Samuel just a little bit closer, you know, he is a real good picture or type of Christ. You know, a clear picture or type of Christ. Like Christ, nowhere in... Um, First Sam, or second Samuel is Samuel ever mentioning as having sinned. Now we know he sinned because he's mortal, but Jesus Christ never sinned. He never sinned. He was a servant. He was a prophet. He spoke for God. He was a man of prayer. He listened to God. He spoke the truth. He was a mediator. He was a judge. He had an unmoved trust in God. He was humble. Never lost faith. Always turned to the God the Father for help. Jesus always put the needs of others above himself, and yet, unlike Samuel, Jesus was the perfect son of God who took our sins upon himself on the cross so we could be forgiven and go and be with him in heaven forever. And as much as I hope you know about Samuel, I hope you know Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you'll be on your way to be with God and the rest of us for all eternity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the prophet Samuel and for the reasons why he was um, 
inducted into your hall of faith. And I just pray, Father, that um, if there are any of these areas that we talked about that he uh, practiced, that we're not, and then just give us the energy, strength, enablement, power to do them in our own lives. And if, Holy Spirit, you've struck a chord in any of us, um, help us to respond in obedience, not let's just let it go in one ear and out the other. And if there's anyone here today that's not a, an, a Christian, they would understand that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins and would love to offer eternal life to those who believe. Thank you, Father. Bless our meeting now as we meet for business and our annual meeting. Help us to sense your Holy Spirit. Bless Brian as he leads this meeting. Give him unusual wisdom and strength and power to uh, lead us through this. And help us to go out of here a little later thrilled with the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that we have at Cedar Home. And all God's people said, amen.